Bismillah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil Alemin. Sallallahu aleyhi ve sellem ala Seyyidina Muhammed ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve sellem. How's everyone doing? You okay? You sure? Yeah? You know sometimes if it's just like one thing after the next and I don't stop and look at everyone I'll go through the whole evening and not even like just one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing and then I get in the car I'm like I don't even know who was there. <laughs> if I didn't talk to them I don't I have no clue who was even there. Just one thing after the next, alhamdulillah. So forgive me if sometimes I, it's a little bit weird like I stop and I'm just looking at you. <laughs> trying to figure out who's here and like remember them and stuff. Alright, bismillah. We're on the chapter on developing morals. Developing morals. So, uh, we've talked about previously kind of the building blocks. The building blocks in the relationship with the Prophet them and the children who are around, them, around him. Number one foundational issue was that he had a relationship with them that developed love and trust. Okay? And then we said that that's the kind of the point that everything else comes from. That he deals with them and interacts with them in a way that endears them to him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He treats them very kindly, he treats them very nicely, he treats them very lovingly, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And uh, that makes it so that these children, they love him. And they look at him like, you know, their father or their grandfather, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In fact, in one of the narrations that we read in the Shema'il, it said that the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, would you know take care of the people and serve the people and help the people and so on and so forth until Sara Ibn Lahm until he became like a father to them so you know that's the first building block for the whole thing then he talked about these other two building blocks that you can kind of put next to each other which are the issues of Iman and Ibadah so actually learning about who Allah is and then worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we talked at length on both of those. So now we come to kind of like their moral development. Okay? Their moral development, which is going to spring from these. So they have the foundation of loving the Prophet and having him, of course, as a great example. They have the foundation of knowing Allah. They have the foundation of believing in the hereafter. They have the foundation of worship. And all of this stuff is going to be now we can talk about developing their character. The Prophet ﷺ taught us that the heaviest thing on the scale of the believer on the Day of Judgment is good character. It's good character. That the most thing, that the most thing that enters people into paradise is to have taqwa and to have good character. The Prophet ﷺ taught us that the one who is um, closest to him uh, on the Day of Judgment in their sitting place is the one who has the best character and uh, this is a matter that's extremely extremely important it's not like a secondary issue uh, it's, it's very very possible that if someone does all of the best worship and all of the good things and they do all this kind of stuff but their character is bad that all of their deeds end up nothing and you see it very clearly in Surah Al-Hujurat, we always read in Salah, right? When the Prophet them, the companions Abu Bakr and Umar they raised their voices, they were having an argument, or let's say a disagreement. 
and in front of the Prophet وسلم, and their voices became so loud they couldn't even hear the Prophet and Allah when he reveals the verses he says uh, like you better lower your voices or else all of your deeds will become void and you don't even realize it and it's, this is in, in relation to this incident that happened with Sayyidina Abu Bakr and Sayyidina Umar so like imagine how many deeds we're talking about and all of that can be lost because the, because why? Because they were raising their voice in front of the Prophet which is a matter of manners. It's a matter of character. You know, should we be doing this or not? If we think about what is it that like makes someone someone, right? I mean, you can think about it in our lives. Our our, our go-to like default position in life is what, what makes someone someone is that they have a lot of money, or they have a lot of followers, or they have a lot of influence, or whatever else it might be. But what is the thing that can break all of that? Is that if they have bad character and they start doing things that are outrageous, then everything that they gained will be lost. And you see it all the time. Like so and so is this big popular person, whatever, and then they did this thing and they made then they made their apology and then like their apology need an apology and all of this stuff. All, it all goes back to character in the end. Because no matter how much you want to look up to someone for like whatever they've accomplished, even if it's like something that's mundane, you know, I don't know. Whatever it is. You can't look up to them when they have bad character. You just eventually you're like, this is too much. Even it happens in Islamic studies, by the way. Like, there's plenty of people who teach in universities and stuff. They're people of bad character. So you, you, you sit in their class and you're like, SubhanAllah, this person, they know so much. They quote to you everything. Every single position, every single issue, so on and so forth. And then you deal with them and you're like, SubhanAllah. I don't, I don't know what to make of this. You know? <laughs> it's, like, it's very confusing. But the reality is that this good character is something that's difficult. It takes work, it takes practice, it takes effort. And, uh, you know, may Allah help us. May Allah help us. May Allah forgive us. May Allah pardon us. And may Allah conceal the character flaws that we have from the people. Allahumma Uh The Prophet them. all these narrations talk about having husnul khuluq. Having good, beautiful character. The Prophet when Allah described his character, I still feel like this is low. Is it too low? This would be, is that better or worse? It's worse? It's good like this? Okay. Uh, the Prophet character, when Allah describes his character, he says, That he doesn't actually say now when they talks about, when Allah talks about the Prophet he doesn't say, You have great character, you have beautiful character. He says, your character is Adheem. Prophet Sallallahu character is Adheem. It's like, it's, it's, it's really, really something. You know, it's not just good character. And really, when you read the descriptions of the Prophet Sallallahu you see this clear as day. Clear as day. Anyone who kind of like, thinks about his life Sallallahu think about the things that he went through, think about the circumstances that happened. Or someone who thinks about themselves. Like there's been at least three or four things already today that I did, that afterwards I was like, SubhanAllah, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said it that way. You know? And I haven't even done anything today. Like, I spent the whole day at home with my kids and my mom. <laughs> Maybe there was like one phone call, one message. And in the one call, I said something I shouldn't have said. You know? The Prophet is khuluq azim, azim, azim. Like, his character is really on a different level. Um, 
Of course, we know the, the, the big hadith that always comes up in this, it's come up like 10 times already in this book, is the hadith of Sayyidina Anas radiallahu anhu, who said, I served the Prophet them for 10 years, he never once told me uff. When I did something, he never told me, why did you do that? And when I didn't do, do this, or he didn't say, why didn't you do this? Or when, and why didn't you do this when I didn't do it? The point is here, he serves him for 10 years, and he never tells him, like, why didn't you do that? Why did you do this? There's different ways of telling him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The story is going to come. Sayyidina Anas says that he went, the Prophet sallallahu asked him to do something. And, uh, you know, he went out to do it. And when he went out to do it, he saw some kids playing. So he saw some kids playing, and he decided to play too. You know, like he got caught up. And, and anyone who has kids knows this, you know. You ask your kid, can you go do this? Five minutes later, you're like, so did you do it? No, I didn't do it. Five minutes later, did you do it? No, I didn't do it. Five minutes later, did you do it? It's like, how many? But he asked him, see, he didn't say, why didn't you do it? He just asked him. He found him playing. The Prophet ﷺ found him playing. He, he, he held him. And he said to him, uh, Unais. He said, Unais, right? First of all, he said, Unais. Unais is like, Tasghir for Enes. It means like, little Enes. Technically, it means little Enes. So it's like, endearing. Like when you say, Ya Bunaya. You don't say, Ya Bni. Ya Bunaya is like my, my, it's endearing. It's a means of endearment, right? So he goes out and he sees them playing. He told them to go do something. He goes out and he sees them playing with the kids. He tells them, Unais, did you do the thing that I asked you? Did you go where I asked you to go? Uh, and he said, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm going. I'm going. I'm going to a lot. So then he goes. <laughs> so, but look at, he says, in Ennis, when he narrates the story, he says, the Prophet them was of the best of character. And then he says, and I went out one day, he told me to go do this, and I went out to do it, and I forgot. And he told me, did you go? And I just, you know, he reminded me, but he didn't blame him. This is the issue that's kind of difficult sometimes, right? He didn't blame him. He didn't ridicule him. He didn't like abuse him. He didn't judge him. He just said, Unais, did you go do what I asked you to do? And he said, yeah, I'm going out of Sulaibah. He didn't like pull him to the side and be like, Wale, I know it's like 15,000 times. He didn't take him to the side and be like, child, I told you 15,000 times now. You, you need to go and do this thing. When I tell you to do this thing, you need to, you know. <laughs> I heard this really horrible story one time in Egypt, actually I shouldn't repeat it because there's children here. But about like a father who was so demanding of his son. It was a really sad story actually. You know? So demanding of his son. Uh, maybe I should say it. some children might be more grateful for their parents. Uh, that he told him one time to do something very similar. He told him to do something. And he didn't do it, you know. He like delayed, he didn't do it. And then something really bad happened afterwards. And then right after that, the father died. That was his last memory of his father, subhanAllah. And he's a really good person. Like, you know, he forgave him. He's a really amazing person. But, subhanAllah, you know. He didn't judge him, he didn't blame him. This has like really, it's like really hard, you know. Because you want, you, sometimes you feel like I'm not doing enough to guide them. Not doing, you have to tell them, like, no, you really need to do this. Like, I'm telling you to do this, you really need to do it. It's for your own good, so on and so forth. But the other thing that happens is there's a consequence to telling too much, right? And uh, I'll, I'll make it internal. 
you know. You, you all know that our kids are nine, almost nine and almost four. So what happens a lot is that the nine-year-old gives too many rules to the four-year-old. And then she rebels, right? So you tell her, like, do this, do that. First of all, their personalities are different in the first place. She's more likely to rebel in the first place. But then, on top of it, she's getting told all the time, do this, do this, don't do this, there's this rule, this rule, that rule, so on and so forth. And you watch it, and I'm like, subhanAllah. And I'm always telling him, smile, and then I'm like, stop it, and you know, don't do that. And he's like, she's the one that did what she's not supposed to do, and you're getting upset with me. I'm like, well, I'm not getting upset with you. I'm trying to tell you, you're making it worse. Like, just stop, just leave it. Like, there's, we didn't do that with you. That's why you listen. Like, she's doing, she's rebelling because you're telling her too much. Like, don't tell her so much. It's like, makes us so, human beings are like that. Like, Allah gave us dignity. Nobody likes to be held down, even kids. Even kids, when you hold them down, like sometimes we have this Eastern method of child rearing, which is like you break the child. And I've heard it many times, you know? I've heard it, like, I would tell them to do it. And I myself sometimes, it's like, it happened the other night. I told them to do something, and then there was a rebellion. I was like, they can't win. <laughs> In my head, I'm like, they're not going to win. I have to show them that I'm going to win, and they're not going to win. It's not the right framing, right? Just because you let them, just because you let it go, doesn't mean they won. Like it's the framing is wrong in the first place. So, you know, Subhanallah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The way that he did this was very latif. It was very latif. He didn't, you know, he dealt with things like as they were. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He's not going to overreact. He's not going to... You know what actually to- shows the child that you're in charge more than putting your foot down? It's showing them that you're in charge of yourself. Like, I can control myself. I can control my own response. You know? You're not going to get to me on it. Whether Even if it's putting your foot down. But it's putting your foot down like... Though this is just the way that it's going to be. Right? I'm not going to like yell at you and scream at you and stuff. But this is what it's going to be. You're not getting that right now. There's no reason for it. That's it. You talk and talk, you can talk until next year, but you're not getting it. Right? It's already decided, and nothing you do is going to change it. So, but he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is very soft. In another narration, Sayyidina Anas radiallahu anhu, he actually said, the Prophet sallam, never blamed me for not doing something he ordered me to do. Never blamed me for not doing something he ordered me to do. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And in another narration, he says, even when the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would blame me, because <laughs> he's serving in the house of the Prophet, right? So I said, so the wives of the Prophet would blame him. Like, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. Then the Prophet them, would intervene and defend him. And he would tell them, Khalas, it's Qadr, like, let it go. Let it go, just keep moving. Move forward on it. And the Prophet them, would defend him. There's another issue here. I'm going to I'm going to say it. You can think about it. I'm still thinking about this. I'm not 100% sure on this. But I'm just thinking about it. Is that and I mentioned it before in the Shema'at that I think there's sometimes things that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam has to do and ways he has to do it because he's the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Like if the Prophet ﷺ was very strict, 
then everyone would take that as the sunnah for all of human all of human time. Everyone would take it as a sunnah. You have to be super strict on your kids, right? It's like when we came across the hadith where we said that the Prophet never praised and never spoke ill of any food. He didn't praise it and he didn't say anything bad about it. So you're like, well, does that mean I shouldn't praise someone's food when I go to their house? I think it's okay to praise someone's food when you go to their house. But the Prophet didn't do it. So this is what I'm thinking about it, right? If the Prophet ﷺ praised food when he went to someone's house, all of those foods would be things that people are searching after for the rest of human, human time. Like everyone would be cooking the chicken in that particular way, and the lamb in that particular way, and this dish in that way, and this in that way, and so on and so forth. You get a hint of this also in the statement of Sayyidina Umar when he took the Khilafah after Sayyidina Abu Bakr. So one of the things that came up was that Sayyidina Abu Bakr was very soft and in his rule Sayyidina Umar was very tough. So actually one of the things people were worried about was like when he becomes in charge, is he going to be that tough on everyone? And he, and he specifically said, when Abu Bakr was in charge, he's a very soft person. So I had to be a little bit harder. I had to be a little bit stronger. But when I'm in charge, I'm not going to do that. He's not going to be in the same like he can back up a little bit because no, he's in charge. It's not the same. It doesn't work the same. The reason I'm saying this sometimes, like, <clears throat> you see this, like, with teachers sometimes and stuff. It's difficult. Like, it's very difficult to be a teacher and to be a manager. Because if you're managing, sometimes you have to tell someone, like, okay, you shouldn't do this, you should do that, so on and so forth. You fell up short on this. This is not a, I'm not insinuating anything to anyone, just in case. I'm not talking about myself here necessarily. But like, it's hard, right? And if the person looks at you as like, that's, your, that's their sheikh, that's their teacher, that's their whatever, and they they're, have to criticize them in these ways, it kind of like stains the relationship. See what I'm saying? Anyways, sometimes it's just done in a way that's too much anyways, but that's okay. Not okay in a sense, but it's, it's life. Alhamdulillah. Allah protect us and, and help us. But he says, even when the wives of the Prophet did blame me for something I was supposed to do and didn't, the Prophet intervened and he defended me. Okay, so this is number one. He didn't blame them. <coughs> number two thing that he did, them, is that he nurtured compassion. He nurtured compassion. So, what does that mean? And where are you going to see all these examples? When, we, when we're dealing with people, this is one thing you see with like really true shaykhs. Is they see the good in people and they bring it out. You're like, subhanAllah, I didn't even know like that was there. But they saw it and they brought it up. And sometimes you see them and like, how are they so like... Like I can think of one person in particular, I won't say his name, but it's like... Anytime he talks with any, about anyone, it's like he's overflowing with love for that person. And that that person's like the most amazing person. And someone, someone else said about this, this same person, they said about him, they said, so-and-so... <coughs> His love is so great that he even loves the ground that he walks on. <laughs> like he's just walking and he loves the ground. You know? <laughs> like there's not much love there. So the Prophet is nurturing this compassion. He sees compassion, sees his qualities in young people, and to try to bring them out. And of course, uh, the most important way that he's going to do that is by being that. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He's Rahman Dinadamin. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
So let's look at this narration. It's a very we, we talked about it before. It's a very interesting narration. It's an important narration um, of the the time when the Prophet them entered a garden, and there was the camel, right? Entered the garden. There was a camel there, and the camel saw the Prophet them and started to cry. Camel saw the Prophet them started to cry and, and like moan, groan. Its eyes shed tears. And the Prophet them came to the the camel and he put his hand on the hump. And the base of his head, and he like calmed the calmed the camel down. And then he said, "Who's the owner of this camel?" And a young boy stepped forward. He says, "It's mine, Ya Rasulullah." And the Prophet told this child, this young person, "Don't you fear Allah with respect to this animal which Allah has given in your possession? The camel is complaining to me that you starve it and load it heavily, fatiguing it." Okay. There's some interesting things here. Number one, the narrator of the hadith is Abdullah bin Jafar, who was young in the time of the Prophet. So he's going with the Prophet on this little thing. He's with the Prophet. He's like a young guy hanging out with the Prophet, teenager or something. They go into this garden. Prophet, he's the one who's watching this. So he's nurturing compassion in him because he's watching it. right? So he sees him do this whole thing. Then when he asked whose camel is it, who stepped forward, it was a young man also. So the whole interaction is with young people. <laughs> the young person's watching, the young person's being spoken to. And then uh, there's some interesting points about it. Number one is that when he gave him advice, he said, don't you fear Allah with regard to this camel, this animal. So what is he making it about? He's making it about Allah. Okay. So like a lot of our education, a lot of our tarbiyah, oftentimes becomes about other things. And this is one of the beautiful things that Dr. Omar Farooq Abdullah Hafidullah said about excessive rigidity. He said, excessive rigidity is the breeding ground of hypocrisy. That when you have excessive rigidity, it creates hypocrisy. Because why? Because people can't live like that. So what are they going to do? And some of our communities, some of our cultures, this is very well known. I won't call them out, people get mad at me. But there's certain cultures in our community, it's very well known. You go to their house, they know exactly what to do. They'll be the best host ever. And as soon as you're not there, they're like the worst people on earth. <laughs> you know? SubhanAllah. Because the hypocrisy is there. Because that's what they learn. The rigidity is so much, they learn that. So, and, and then it becomes about, it doesn't become about Allah. It becomes about everything else. Oh, you're going to bring shame to our family. You're going to disrespect your parents. You're going to make this look bad. You're going to make that look bad. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to... Uh, I'm going to feel shy. I'm going to feel embarrassed. I'm going to do this. All of these are like false gods that become now the thing that matters to the person. Perfection becomes a false god. You know, That's a good thing about positive discipline, by the way. Like you don't tell them, MashaAllah, you're smart. You got an A. You tell them, uh, it looks like you probably put in a lot of work and it... It uh, came to a good result for you, right? So like you praise the process, not the result. And because otherwise, like eventually you praise, oh, you're smart, you're smart, you're smart, you're smart, you're smart. You're never going to be smart forever. <laughs> like, you know, it's like in any sport too. Like, mashallah, you're the best player in your middle school. You're not the best player in your city. Like, it doesn't matter. You can, believe me, I can tell you. I was probably the best player in my high school and my middle school. And in the league, I wasn't, I wasn't very important. And in the region, I was definitely not important. It means nothing, right? 
So like if it's just like, oh, you're good. No, eventually you're not going to be good. Eventually you're not going to be smart. Someone else is going to come. You're not going to get the A. You're going to go through all of your college and you're going to go through your high school and everything. You're going to get to this big university. You're going to take your first exam. You're going to fail it. And then you're going to think you're dumb because you failed the exam. It's not the point because the wrong thing was emphasized. The wrong thing was emphasized. The thing that's supposed to be emphasized is you put effort in. And everything has qadr. Everything has qadr. I said this last week or the week before when it came to like some of my classmates. I have classmates who are far beyond me in knowledge and taqwa. It's qadr. What can you do? Like you can work hard and they can work hard and they'll have more. It's just what it is. Like, I can't, what, am I going to like give up on Allah because that's not my qadr? It's not my qadr. It's okay. You know, everyone has their own thing. So we have to believe in Allah. It has to be about Allah. So when he gives them advice on the camel, he says, don't you have taqwa with regards to the camel? So it has to be about Allah, you know? The second thing he tells him is he tells him about the camel's feelings. Gives him like that emotional intelligence, right? A little bit of empathy. Like the camel came to me, it's complaining to me that you're not treating it right. <laughs> Even the camel has feelings, it has emotions. Don't you think about it? Think about how the camel feels. People are like, what do you mean think about how the camel feels? You see this in different places, right? The dog gets kicked, the cat gets kicked, this gets hit, this gets that, so on and so forth. There's a story about, um, uh, I want to say Sayyidi Ali al-Wafa, one of the Salihin. Imam al-Sharani mentions it in his Al-Urhud uh, uh, al-Muhammadiyya, in Rifq, you know, like gentleness. He says that the Shaykh one time he had a cup, and he went to go put the cup down, and he put the cup down kind of hard. And he heard the cup go, ah. <laughs> People were like, what are you talking about? This? We have like thousands and thousands and thousands of stories about this kind of stuff from people that are far more reliable than, than me. So, Allahu A'lam, I haven't seen it, but could it happen? It could happen. Allah can make the cup like say that. There's a reminder to the person, like you don't do that. Don't do it that way, right? One of the brothers told me one time when I was leaving the masjid, you, know, you leave the masjid, you kind of like throw your slippers and you put your slippers on. And he's like, you know, one sheikh, one time they told us that if the person really had concentration in their salat, they wouldn't throw their slippers after their salat. They would come put their slippers down softly, put their slippers on, very soft, you know, slam doors, all this kind of stuff, right? Because these things have feelings too. <laughs> I told you one time that I was traveling with a I had the opportunity to travel with a particular sheikh and as we were getting on the plane he put his hand on the plane and he said something and he gets on the plane you know everyone's like in the you know the thing the, the walkway there's no like uh, you wouldn't be able to tell if you weren't watching right but I was like next to him and I saw him do it and I was like huh, I wonder what he's doing so we get on the plane and like I wait a little while and I'm like sheikh uh, I saw you put your hand on the plane like What's the deal, you know? And he's a very subtle person. And he was like, he's like, I don't know, I just, I, I, I like to feel like when I get on the plane, I like to just put my hand and say salam to the plane and make the dua for suffer. Like, you know, subhanallah, and I just put my hand and say salam to the plane, I get on the plane. He's like, didn't make a big deal out of it, you know? Like, if you want to do it, do it. Is it not? Just, he's like, I just like to do it. I feel like, I have a relationship with the plane. I'm getting on the plane. Right? Like, I'm relying on this plane now to take me somewhere. 
So this kind of like feeling of he tells him, what about the the animal's feelings? The third thing that he teaches him in the way that he says this is that he teaches him responsibility for something that he has. And this, I think, is is a challenging one for us now because we, frankly, this came up last week too. And I'm not like I'm not saying that I'm free from this. I buy my children too much stuff. But it just happened yesterday. It's like I really don't want to buy this thing. I bought it anyways. And it's hard to like really appreciate things when you have too many things. When they come and they go really quickly. And we talked about this also in the Shema'il. But the Prophet them, his things could be counted on your hand. The things that he had them, and they had names. His shield had a name, his sword had a name, his swords had names, you know, his animals had names. He had like a handful of, like a one bowl, spoon, you know. So you know, all of these things, there's a relationship with them. So he's teaching him when he asks him, like, this is your camel, it's put in your trust. Allah put it in your trust. So don't you have taqwa with how you deal with this trust of yours? It's your trust. No, it's your things. You should respect your things. People name their laptops, people name their cars, right? It's a... It's a good thing to do. It's not a bad thing. Because we have to appreciate things. Again, you should watch the oldie but the goodie, the story of stuff. Find it on YouTube. Story of stuff. It's an oldie but a goodie. It's really interesting. You think about think about the story of it. You know, like even the coffee, right? We've said this before. When you read Surah Abasa, insanu ila let the human being look at their food. Look at the food and really think about it. Like where did it come from? No, like it's... If you have like a, 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 a banana and the banana says that it came from... Where do they usually come from? Ecuador? Brazil? No, somewhere on it. Somewhere in like Latin America. Costa Rica. You pick up your like orange, it has Mexico on it. Like think about like... Like how many people's lives, actually, you know, it's a little bit hipster and stuff, but I like that, that they do that in coffee now. You go in, it's like single source, single origin. This is the family. They give you like the family story, you know. This is the family, it's been their land for 10 generations, and this is the coffee that they grow on it, and this is this. Like it's a little bit, it's marketing, right, at the same time, but it's also, uh, it's good, you know the story. Like. The orange has a story, the apple has a story, the banana has a story, all the pieces of things that come into it, there's a story to it. So like, there's a responsibility that comes with that, you know? The toilet paper has a story, COVID should have taught us that. <laughs> supply lines, supply chains disrupted, products not coming as easily. You're like, where's my toilet paper? I need to track my role, story of the role. Where did it start? Where did it come from? Alright, next thing that he did in terms of character and morals is he taught kindness to parents. Kindness to parents. This is a tricky one. It's a tricky one because sometimes people have bad experiences with their parents. But let's go with the default, which is that parents love you and they care for you. Even though they make mistakes sometimes, they still love you. Still your blood. They still want better, they still want good for you, so on and so forth. One of the things that I think about parents is that Allah always in the Quran talks about worshipping one God and being good to parents. The reality is, we all have a different lot when it comes to our parents, right? Everyone has a different lot. 
we didn't have anything to do with it. Born into the world, these are my parents. You get older, they're your parents. The good, the bad, the ugly, they're still your parents, right? Life itself is not actually so different. Life itself is not actually so different. Sometimes life is really good. Sometimes you have really nice things. Sometimes you have really bad things. Sometimes you have really disappointing things. Sometimes you have really ugly things. Sometimes you have betrayal. Sometimes you have suspicion. You have all kinds of things that happen in life. All of that is part of the qadr that happens in life. The decree that takes place in life. Right? It's all part of the decree. What I feel that one of the issues with this whole parents thing that's really important for people to figure it out is how am I going to love and appreciate my parents in the absence of extreme abuse? So let's leave extreme abuse on the side. Extreme. But like even maybe the parents not like so great. But they're, they're like, they care for you, they love you, they're your parent, you know, in the end. If I can't reconcile that, it's going to be difficult for me to reconcile my relationship with Allah. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you catch the relation? Because I don't have any choice in my parents. It's the lot that I'm dealt with. There's a qadr in it. I have to accept it. I have to deal with it. And there's rights and responsibilities that come along with it, irregardless. My relationship with Allah in life, a lot of things I don't choose. Some things I choose, a lot of things I don't choose. There's rights and there's responsibilities and there's things I have to do. And I have to figure out how, to, how I'm going to reconcile it and how I'm going to do my best still. I still have to do it. There's things that we control, there's things that we don't. So part of like learning how to be good to our parents in a variety of circumstances is also learning how to be good with Allah. Because that connection is there. On top, of, on top of everything else we know about like parents are the gates of paradise and all of these other things that are extremely, extremely important. Um, you know, we have to think about like what matters in the end? This came up a few days ago on some youth group thing, you know. You have people, <clears throat> you know when they built the new dorms at USC? They built the new dorms at USC, these really beautiful dorms. I forget what they called it. Built them. They intentionally built the, the pole in the closets with a weight limit that if you put too much weight on it, it'll collapse. There's children, so I won't fill in the gaps for you. You can figure it out. Why? Because when you create a false god, everything falls apart really quickly when that false god falls apart. If your false god is like, I have to get these grades, I have to get into this university, I have to do this thing. If I don't get into XYZ, my whole life is ruined. I've been working all so hard for the last four years, which is not very long, in case you didn't know. But I've been working so hard for the last four years, and if I don't get into this university, everything is lost. And then like the, right now, you know, application season, letters are coming back. I didn't get into this school, I didn't get into that school. Everything is lost, you know, I worked so hard on my SATs and this and that and my application, it was the greatest letter ever. You know, my essay, I had it proofread by 20 people. And, and then everything is lost. 
It's good. Work hard. Try to do things. Do good stuff. But it's not everything. It's not everything. It's actually nothing. <laughs> if it's if it's not with the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's actually nothing. That's all that actually matters. What is actually going to get me into Jannah? Why am I saying this? Because there's hadith that say, you're good to your parents, you enter paradise. So at some point you have to be like, do I believe in Allah? Do I believe in Jannah? Alright. I'm going to figure out a way to do this. Especially if they're elderly, especially if they're in need, so on and so forth. And if you have parents who are good, and if you have parents who are really doing their best, and you can see that they're trying to do their best, and you can see that they love you and they care for you, and everything else, just thank Allah. Thank Allah. Because that's a huge blessing. The Prophet taught us to be good to our parents, to be kind to our parents. And we did it with examples. There's a case where I don't know the narration, like the reliability of this narration, but it's interesting. Where a person was, uh, a young person was passing away in Medina, and they came to the Prophet ﷺ and they said, "So and so is passing away, and he can't say La ilaha illallah." And he's like, "He's a Muslim." He's like, "Yeah, he's a Muslim." He's like, "He prays." This is really scary. Like he prays. Like, yeah, he prays. But he can't say, La ilaha illallah. He's like, all right, let's go to him. So they go to him and they start, Prophet them talks to the boy. Tells him, La ilaha illallah. The boy says, I can't. Then the Prophet them was told, this person used to be bad to his mother. So the Prophet them went and found this mother. She's still alive. They brought the mother. He, the Prophet them spoke to her. He said, you know, such and such, would you want, whatever happened, would you want your son to go to hell and so on? So she's like, of course not. He's like, forgive him. You know, she forgives him. And they go to the boy and tells him, say, la, 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 he passed away. SubhanAllah. It's like, marry him. In the other case, uh, the story of the Jewish person who used to be close to the Prophet said, the boy, you know, they found out the boy was sick, he used to serve the Prophet, so I send him and stuff. And... The Prophet goes to visit him, he's sick. And the Prophet tells him, Say, La ilaha illallah. He looks at his father. He's Jewish. He looks at his father. His father tells him, Obey Abu Qasim. Obey Abu Qasim. is the Prophet. So the boy said, La ilaha illallah. And he passed away. SubhanAllah. Both of them, you see, like the, the parents are involved actually in some sort of way. On the other side of the story, they say in the night journey and ascension, the Prophet heard someone reciting Quran. And they said, who's this? And they said, it's Harith ibn al-Aman. And the big thing that he was known for, عنه, was that he was good to his mother. And we talked about a waste before as well. We don't need to uh, belabor a waste. But being good to our parents is extremely important. One time a man came to the Prophet he told him, I did a major sin. Like I really messed up. I did a big sin, big mistake. Prophet ﷺ just looked at him and he said, uh, he asked, is your mother alive? He said, no. This was going to be his way. He says, is your mother alive? He said, no. He said, do you have any khalat? Any of your mother's sisters alive? He said, yes. He said, then go be good to her. This is, you know, major sin. What should I do, Ya Rasulullah? Go be good to your aunt. It's the answer. 
another hadith the Prophet said the khala is at the level of the um, she's at the level of the mother. Uh, so these people have rights, you know. Allah forgive us. Allah forgive us. Imagine like a major sin. I don't know what it was. It could be there's, there's like theft, adultery, alcohol. Like there's only a, the major sins are not so much. Like one time the Prophet saw a boy walking with a man. He said, "Who's this?" He asked the boy, "Who's this?" He was walking in front of him. He said, who is this? He said, it's my father. He said, don't walk in front of him like that. Okay. So the, the sunnah, if you're walking with your father, so you, walk, you walk next to your father the way you would stand next to the imam if only two of you were praying. Just like half a step ahead of you. See, right? Give them his deference. Some of the scholars said, unless it's nighttime. If it's nighttime, then you stand in front of them. In case something happens, then you can defend them. I thought about this in this space actually and maybe you guys can remember when we have gatherings in the space my opinion the sisters should sit deeper in the room when we sit side by side in the office sisters should sit deeper in the room brothers should sit closer to the door so if something happens the brothers are responsible for handling it it's your job you die in it you die with honor One time the Prophet them, he told people like, when you bring food to your home, if you're not going to give it to your neighbors and stuff, he taught them, and you're not going to bring it to your neighbors, then you should kind of conceal it. You don't let them see it. Right? And uh, if you have food with your children, and they're going to play with other children and stuff, don't like give them food that other children are going to look at it, they're going to feel like, oh, how come I don't have that and stuff like this. Be courteous about it. Be, be sensitive. One of our Arabic teachers actually he told us that in their like their standard growing up, maybe some people have seen this, was that when you go to the grocery store or the market, you know, like the corner market, the bags that they would use were uh, like plaid almost, you know, you couldn't see through them. So when you go and you get your groceries and things, you put it in the bag and you take it home. Nobody can see what you have. He's like, because then your neighbors don't look at what you have and be like, oh, how come we didn't have this? Look at they have all this and stuff, you know. And he used to tell us, he's like, I don't know what's wrong with people, because we lived on, some people know Cairo. Like some of these big streets in Cairo, we lived off of Abbasana Ad. There's a bunch of restaurants, right? These restaurants, they have these big windows. And he's like, I don't understand these things. He's like, you do that? You go there and you sit, you buy your food and you sit in the window and like people who are walking by, they watch you eat? He's like, that feels okay to you? I was like, what do you mean? We have no, like we don't think about it, you know? He's like, well, first of all, there's people outside walking by that can't afford to eat in the restaurant that you're eating in. And they're, they're walking by and they're looking at you eat your food. Don't you feel like, take this to social media now. This is before social media. SubhanAllah. This is before any social media stuff. He's like, they walk by, they see you eating the food, they can't eat the food. How do you think they're going to feel? He said, number one, it's going to make them feel better. Number two, they're going to give hasid on your food. They're going to look at your food, they want your food, they're gonna be, they're gonna, there's going to be ayin on your food, you know? He's like, number three, I paid for the food, why am I, why are they getting free advertising from me? <laughs> I was like, these are good points. So I stopped doing that. This makes a lot of sense. Same thing with like, posting everything online. You're part of making someone else depressed. Imagine that. Really, like, this is a proven fact now, it's not like, you know? It makes people depressed. 
you go to social media, you look at a bunch of stuff, you feel worse afterwards. Why? Because you saw all these things that other people have that you don't have. So whoever posted all that stuff for the sake of having followers and making money and whatever else they wanted to do, they did that at the cost of someone else's mental health. Right? It's very kind of like... I don't know. So this is part of courtesy to neighbors. It teaches you to have courtesy to neighbors. Care for their feelings. He also taught them to have identity, like to have honor in their identity. This is a very important point. Actually, it could take a long time to talk about. But uh, there's a there's there. For a while in the American Muslim community, there was too much emphasis on being different, and like those are the kuffar, and we're the Muslims, and we're different, and all this kind of stuff, and it resulted in an opposite extreme. Opposite extreme is we're just the same as everybody else. We're all the same. If we're all the same, why would I pray five times a day and give zakat and do all Like, I wouldn't do those things if we're all the same. I do these things because I don't believe that we're the same. Not, I don't think that I'm better. I just don't think that we're the same. This is divine guidance, and that's not. This is Quran, and that's not. This is guidance from the Prophet, and that's not. So there's an element of like, yeah, we don't have to unnecessarily be different than other people. That's true. But at the same time, like, one should take pride not arrogance, but they should take pride and honor in their identity and who they are and how they present themselves and how they look, so on and so forth. Uh, and this is definitely part of the sunnah of the Prophet There's many things that came up. It's like, you don't dress the way that corrupt people dress. You don't look the way that corrupt people look. You don't do things that corrupt people do. Why? Because you don't want to be like them. You don't want to look like them. I want to look like someone who's honorable. The nation of Islam did this really well. You know? The man is going to wear like a suit bow tie, walk in a certain way, carry themselves in a certain way, speak in a certain way, because I have honor, right? The woman is going to wear a certain thing, so on and so forth. All of this is part of like, I am who I am, and I honor who I am, and I'm proud of my identity. The Prophet Sallallahu told, like one time he saw a boy, he had pieces of his head like shaved. The other parts were not shaved. And he told him, he said, either you shave all of it, or you leave all of it. Because this doesn't look respectable. Essentially, the meaning of it is that. It's not a respectable way to do things. Um, there's obviously some cultural uh, fluidity there, right? But identity is important. Like in the end, there are a lot of things that we do very simply because we're Muslims. And other people don't do them very simply because they're not Muslims. I don't expect them to do it, but I expect me to do it. I expect my family to do it. I expect the people that I love to do it because that's who we are. And we should take honor in that. Like, you know, we have, we have to be... Uh, there's too much carryover from this colonialism stuff. You know? Like, lands destroyed. It's really a lot, actually. I don't think we realize sometimes. I found this article. Someone posted it, I think. I shared it with my family. It was talking about how South Asians have a higher propensity towards different certain diseases. And how, like, they did this research that... South, it takes South Asians twice as much exercise to get the same result as a European. And what one of the doctors was saying, what a Muslim doctor was saying, is that there's research that shows that surviving a famine has a physiological effect on you and even on your children and even on your grandchildren. And it was saying that South Asia went through in the last like 100, 200 years like 50 famines. Literally. Like 30, 40, 50 famines, serious famines, where like millions and millions of people died. Okay? 
So you think there's no consequence? Sometimes we, you know, our whole, the last 100 years, 200 years, a big point of the whole 200 years was Islam is dummy. Islam is backwards. Religious people are backwards. Religious knowledge is useless. The whole tradition is, even the scholars wrote books in the last 100 years that basically said the last 500 years were frozen. And like, there was no advancement, there was no development. It's kalam fadi, it's completely garbage. You know? But even our own scholars wrote it. Huge people, they wrote these things. They, didn't, they themselves didn't even understand. And they're the specialists. It's like, there's consequences to these things, then we hate ourselves. So, no, we have to, like, we are something. We're a people, alhamdulillah, we're a people who have divine revelation. We're a people who have the example of the Prophet them. We're a people who have a tremendous intellectual and civilizational tradition. That's unrivaled by anyone else. And I should take honor in that. But alhamdulillah, I'm a Muslim. Like, this is a blessing from Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why I said, you stand in the front. And if you die, you die. You die with honor. It's okay to die with honor. It's okay to live with honor. It's okay to die with honor. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Some tips, you know, don't talk about your neighbors. Don't gossip. Greet your children with salam and kisses. When calling your parents, have your children speak to them. When visiting your parents, take your children with you. Let them see them. Let you see, let them see you honor them. You know? This is actually one of the issues that we have in our community sometimes too. It's like you have the imam, you have the religious teacher. And for budgeting reasons or whatever other reasons, more senior people don't always get invited. Like your community has never seen you honor somebody else. Why would they honor you? <laughs> you <know? laughs> Think about it. Yeah. They've never seen you honor somebody else. You're the big shaykh. You never honored somebody else. Why would they honor you? So you, t- you want your kids to respect you and honor you? Respect your parents. Let them see you do it. Uh, read a hadith every day. Teach them. So on and so forth. Apologize. I'll, st- I'll only mention this one. Apologize to your children if you made a mistake. Honesty is important. Make a mistake, apologize. It's okay. We make mistakes. A lot of times, like I've noticed a lot of times with our children, we get kind of like in a rush, come to a conclusion. It's the wrong conclusion. If you actually sit and you listen for a few seconds, you realize, oh, I was wrong actually. I didn't know the whole story. I see what you're saying. My fault. You need to tell them. How are they going to apologize? Again, how are your children going to learn how to apologize and say they're sorry if they've never seen you say sorry? If they've never seen you apologize? If they've never seen you own up and be like, you know what, that thing that I did, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. They've never seen you do it. Right? So, you know, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us, that's why I said in the beginning that the most important thing is that we do what's right with ourselves in front of Allah. Always, if there's a conflict, I do what's right in front of Allah, which is what I need to do, and I turn it over to Allah. It's better. Do what's right in front of Allah, turn it over to Allah, let Allah handle it. Because sometimes it's like, you don't know. Oh, but if I say I'm sorry, then they're going to think I'm weak, then they're going to think they can take advantage, they're going to think this, they're going to think that, if they do this, if they do that, so on and so on. No. You just, you know, do what's right, and move on with it. Inshallah, Allah, you, in the waliya Allah, you know, he's the one. My Allah is my wali. He takes care of the affairs of the believers and the righteous. 
Allahumma salli wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sallam. Subhanakum bihamdik nishar wa nailan istakulimu tuwilaik.